this would be the coolest place for a range. Oh, this quarry? Yeah. You know, it's pretty cool. Except I mean, they don't like guns in Illinois. They don't. No. But it's a huge quarry. It's, ah, what would you say? Ah. It's got to be 1,200 yards. And it's probably 600, 800 yards across. Across. Sure. Uh, not to. There's no to at the end of that one. Um, I think it would be a cool one. But, yeah, you're right. I this is my least favorite state. It wouldn't be good Second for wind. Second least favorite state. be pretty hard to deal with. Yeah. And figure out what the wind is the doing swirlies. down there. swirlies. It'd be fun. Can you imagine the swirlies you oh, get down yeah. there? Oh, yeah. And NDs end up in semis, so you'd have to be really good at evading felony charges because of this proximity to the highway. Yeah, plus you, they wouldn't like your suppressors. <laughs> they wouldn't. Well, I got a question for you. Okay, question away. All right, so... I've been thinking about this quite a bit, and I have no idea uh, where this is going to go. But 42. No. That's no, the no, answer no. to life and everything. All right. Enjoy the fish. Um, <laughs> <laughs> all right. So if you do it, if you do something wrong and still get the desired outcome, is it really wrong? Hmm. Yes. Yes. Why? Because <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean you'll get the right outcome the next time you do well that was an easy answer and that's kind of where my mind goes but I know a lot of people that do things wrong and do it wrong a lot and still get the desired outcome so they might have a different understanding I I could I could understand I could appreciate that but I think there's also the what happens when you press your limit you press the luck you get to the point where your skill level or the scenario, the environment, whatever the thing is that it's being tested, uh, overwhelms, overcomes, or all of a sudden shows that flaw. So, I mean, point in case, you, you're like, I can hit this target standing offhand, no matter what. I'm just using a shooting example. Check my right wall. I'm making this lane change. I don't see anybody in my blind spot. Got to go to Iowa area. Pretty sure this is the one. This feels like it. Doing a, We're doing a late lane change here. Um... You're standing, standing offhand. You can hit. Oh yeah, I can hit a ten-inch circle all the time, and you hit it a hundred times out of a hundred. You're like it's working right, but you're somehow the way you're holding it is a little awkward. And then you do the same thing, except you just had to sprint up a hill. All of a sudden, the scenario doesn't allow you to do that thing. So you're doing something the wrong way. It results in a good outcome under one set of conditions, until you find the set of conditions that it's not. Uh, not going to achieve the results you want, which you can't know until you you fail. Yeah, and I think once you fail or once the the outcome is undesirable, it becomes harder to troubleshoot and figure out how to improve it if you've almost lucked locked upon, in. Yeah, almost yeah. lucked upon the end result. And I get I get questions all the time on um, data and curves and velocities and BC and and the thing that made me start thinking about this was people that that true their BC at some distance and then true their velocity at other distances. And mm-hmm. are they wrong? Um, they're, they're in some instances coming at, at it in the wrong way, but they have, they get the desired result within the scope that they are trying to Correct. perform. Yep. So there's where I kind of default and say, well, maybe they're not wrong. They might have an understanding that's enough to operate within the bounds of where they're trying to perform yep within the environment that they have under the constraints that they have it's working until you go outside of those constraints mm-hmm. yeah and then i see other people on hunting forums or long-range forums or whatever they're talking about um i used to be able to do it and hit it here and now i can't well if you're if you're doing it wrong from the beginning i have a very hard time walking you through the process and helping you because i don't know which part of your process was allowing you to hit the outcome repeatedly before because my mind just isn't it doesn't allow it to think in those terms and so I have a lot harder time helping people that um, helping people get to the right result when their their process fails if they're not following it or doing it quote unquote right in the first place but it always makes me go back and question whether I'm doing things right (laughs) if somebody is getting the outcome that they want and, they're, and, and the way I perceive it is that they're doing it the wrong way. The, the best example I think I have of this in the shooting world is, is so common, and I see it 
we have seen it multiple matches. We see it virtually every match. Someone comes off the line, man, I know you just had to hold two tenths, but I had to hold a mill. And mm-hmm. then you're like, wow, well, that's almost not possible. But um, it, isn't. it isn't possible. <laughs> but okay, you held, he held a mill. He thinks that's the right call, or she thinks that's the right call. And it wasn't a mill. It was a mill with your gun and your scope canted the way that it was canted. Yeah, it was a mill at that distance. But then you're going to find very quickly that as soon as you level the rifle, it's no longer a mill and you're back in line with everybody else. And I, I think that type of problem happens. You can apply that scenario to multiple things. Like mm-hmm. your, your ammo, like, hey, man, I'm having a hard time truing up my rifle, for instance. And so well, how do you know you're having a hard time? Well, I fired three rounds at 500, then I fired three rounds at 1,000, and then I fired three rounds at 1,500. And it was high, then low, then high. So that doesn't make any sense. Well, there's more than one way to skin a cat. I mean, is it possible your ammo, you just happened to grab three rounds that you sort of undercharged, and then three rounds that were or overcharged, then undercharged, and then overcharged. And really, the average of all those is correct. Your ammo is just not good. Mm-hmm. Or any number of things. Your muzzle brake is loose or... Parallax. Parallax. Or, I mean, you could literally apply this to virtually any scenario that requires... I'm pausing for a second to admire the back end of this new Amazon truck. It's very, it's very weird. <laughs> did, that, did that catch your eye, too? I'm it, like, I don't, yeah. it looks like a portal. It's got huge... Re- Sorry, we're going to end up having to probably cut this part back, but there is a huge Amazon truck in front of us that has like... <laughs> it looks like a portal to another dimension. It does. <laughs> so you should take a photo of this so we can make this the episode. Like, here's the portal to the wrong stuff. Um, any rate, they, um, apparently Amazon has their own new truck that is... I have never seen one like this before. All right, let's move on. Okay. But you have... You know, there's a lot of things that in precision rifle and hunting and, and shooting and life... You can come out with a, a result that is what you're looking for or approximately what you're looking for. You're willing to accept that result, and yet the the actual result is not repeatable. And I have to pass this. I, think, man, I think that this is where a lot of the forums and Facebook groups, and it's hard to, it's hard to prove, it's hard to articulate, but it, this is where a lot of them steer people in the wrong direction because they spit these things as facts but they've come to these conclusions uh, either on accident or with a process that's flawed in some way maybe not you know completely flawed it but there's error there's in. error in there yet they get the outcome and they are so sure that that their set of inputs gave them that outcome that they're willing to go out there and you know stake their reputation and talk as loudly as they can until people try to listen. And it's very hard to figure out who knows what on the on the internet and even face to face in person. We have these conversations at matches and and on the phone with people that are troubleshooting different things. And uh I'd really try to be unbiased and open-minded because honestly, my question first is questioning myself whether I understand it properly. I think that's healthy and I think we've already communicated that many times like I'm very critical of my thought process and my process of, of doing things. So once I've once I've gone through that in my mind I think well how do I communicate to this person that um, maybe there's error in their data or in their process of sending that round on the perfect trajectory. And I, I do struggle with it quite a bit, and I I don't participate on a lot of the forums because it just it will suck your time away, and you will get nowhere. But I feel bad because a lot of that out there is where people get their information from. And and who's to say that we have the right information versus somebody else? Like, oh, I know we do. <laughs> yeah. Not not being arrogant about it, I know there's certain things that we have from experience. And but and philosophically, yeah, it is very difficult to argue that either one of us would be wrong. If right. we both had the opposite approach, then they both result in the right outcome. Exactly. Until, I mean, if, if, I mean, philosophically speaking, um, you know, the right answer is the right answer is the right answer. How you arrive at that answer is sort of irrelevant if the outcome you need is correct. But then you have the larger problem. It's like, under what constraints? And that's the sort of the, the hidden background to all of the things that we do in precision rifles specifically the environment changes, your constraints changes, your caliber changes, your targets change, the wind, where you're shooting, how you're shooting, what you're wearing, what you're feeling. There's so many things that change constantly 
that if if the information is coming from someone who shoots someone who shoots at a bench at say 100 or 200 yards, they have a. Imagine if you had a you sat on this like your range is on the side of a hill, and it's 200 yards or 400 yards. Ah, it doesn't even matter. However long you can shoot, but the wind is not right to left. It is compl- just theoretically, it's completely vertical. It goes from bo- up from the bottom to the top. It goes up towards a mountain face, and you're shooting across it. And you have a 20 mile an hour updraft all the time. You don't feel it from you, but you don't feel it at the target. It's just everywhere your bullet travels, it's a 20 mile an hour updraft. That is effectively the same thing as a 20 mile an hour crosswind, except it's going to show up in your elevation. So this person goes out and they true, and they're like, my bullet is, has a this G7, blank, a G7, yeah, G7 of 1,000 millions. <laughs> because yeah. their range, like no matter how, like, I have trued it at all distances, and I know it's right, except the one variable they've left out is the conditions the between them and the target, yeah. the environment. And it's not that it's, it's as soon as they step outside of that and they go any other range where the wind is normal or the wind is top to bottom, for instance, in this ideal weird world example. Um, now they're way low. I don't know what's going on. My gun's broken. It's shooting way low. I, I, did I drop speed? I don't know. Let me check. Nope, it's the same speed. Ah, this solver is crap. There's a few instances that got me thinking about this. And I think your example you just gave was pretty pretty interesting very unlikely that it would happen yeah. but very interesting you could imagine how a 20 mile an hour virtual updraft at at 500 yards could lead you to you know a six to nine tenths error in your elevation mm-hmm. that would be absolute insanity but um, then that person going to a match could be totally wrong but there's also any number of other things like scope tracking. When you ask somebody, have they checked their Such scope tracking? One. And they have, you know, a, a scope that is bold or light on, on how much it moves per click. And they're, you know, going out there true in their BC to solve that. And now the curve that they get is going to be off in certain mid ranges because, you know, they've got it lined up at 400 and they've got it lined up at 1,000 and 650 is garbage. Uh, yeah. So, I just I have a hard time uh, I have a hard time communicating that because it, there's just so many things that matter that people uh, assume are fact and they assume that they've already figured it out and crossed it off the list without without number one understanding how to do that and actually prove that that's not it or number two like they didn't even think to check it. Yeah, and it's there is a critical process that is it happens when you're trying to assess critical processes and it's before it's just a kind of a weird meta way of saying it when you understand the process well enough you also understand the things that that process affects so when you see something much further down the road that doesn't line up your brain doesn't immediately go to just one potential cause it it goes to all the potential causes that could affect that variable and then you mentally start to eliminate nope that's not it. I know that was checked. And you, you walk through your process to, to verify like, Oh, these six things or these five things all affect my, my windage or these five things affect my vertical or these five things affect my group size. I'm just using a random number. Mm -hmm. Once you have that, it's when you, when you're almost understanding the process, you default normally to like one, the most glaring thing that's happened to you in the past that has caused this, or you think you've fixed it. That's what you tend to return to and say, oh, that's the problem. That's what's happening. It's got to be, right? Well, that's kind of a cognitive bias in that the most recent thing that you've seen demonstrate a change or is causal to a change um, is what you assume is causing the same problem. And that assumption, that's this is the process within the process. It's the mental process of learning what's actually causing the issue. That's something you have to learn and refine. Mm-hmm. And it's a skill. It is an absolute skill to take a problem and identify a cause through a tree of potential causes. But at some point, you have to make assumptions. Otherwise, you just spend your life trying to gather the data for yourself, you, right? You do. I mean, <laughs> you absolutely do. But part of that process can be eliminated when you just change things slowly. So, mm-hmm. you know, don't change 10 things at once because you don't know what thing was causal. And it doesn't, you don't know what changed the outcome. So, I, I mean, I know for me at work, it specifically can be really challenging when we're trying to deal with minutia of firearms, groups, precision, and wind to try to pin down the root cause of something we're trying to 
demonstrate or exacerbate an effect of so that we we can show this is what's causing it. Well, we're trying to find the variable that we can manipulate to make a larger change uh, in order to become better at sort of understanding the causal relationship and what, what portion or what percentage of mm-hmm. some variable is practical versus important but impractical, meaning it can't happen or it's very, 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 very unlikely to occur. So there's something that's like a significance, and I guess maybe this is a good way of talking about it, but significance versus practical or practicality. Mm, yeah. And there's something can be significant where you can measure that there's a real difference. And you can say, this is this is 100%. There is a difference, i.e. The word significant has a scientific definition does. you're talking about, right? Yes. That's what yes. you mean. Significant you in the sense that there is a quantifiable differential that is beyond the statistics, the statistical likelihood of it being the same. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a statistical certainty that they are different. A good example of this: powder charges. I can measure my powder charge to one, two, or excuse me, two one hundredths of a grain. So mm-hmm. when we say that it's uh, it is, I have four or six hundredths of a grain lighter on one charge than another. Uh, or even just three hundredths, two hundredths, some small number, not the exact same number. Is it statistics? Is it significant? Yes, it's significant in the sense that it is a quantifiable change. We know that it's actually different and it's measurable and it can be repeatedly measured as different. Therefore, it is significantly different. It but does it's not, not make practically, it practically different. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, this, I've been... The more I, I wrote this question down a few weeks ago because there's just been so many different instances that made me think of it. And I just want to make sure that I'm not thinking about it wrong. I, I truly believe your first answer was, you know, is it wrong if if you get the wrong outcome with or the right outcome with the wrong process? And you said, you know, yes, it is wrong. And I, I believe that. But I want to make sure that I've communicated that point properly and dug into what if that's what if we're not right? What if, what if we're, we're not true on that? So, um, and this is just an example that had had my mind churning uh, back in April when we shot that Vortex Vengeance match. I oh, had yeah. I had somebody come up to me afterwards, and this is a well-known individual in the sport. They've been in it for a long time. And the question that this person asked me was pretty surprising. He said, "Man, you know, you, you were just banging the center of all those targets." Like, what do you use to get your data? Like, how are you getting your data so perfect? And it was the most confusing question I've ever had because the data is the data. Like, I I don't know how else to say it. (laughs) I understand all the, and this is not being uh, overly confident or cocky. I just, I I understand the inputs to the solver and I let the solver do the hard work so I don't have to. And the only time I deviate from that is when I feel like, um, my group is migrating outside of what the solver should give me to hit the target. And when it comes down to it, the targets are big enough to, if you have the right wind call, to absorb your elevation. He was specifically talking about elevation, by the way. Right. Um, the, the targets are big enough to absorb elevation error um, to the size of your group and then probably another 50% of the size of your group. Yeah. So... Why are we worrying about elevation that much if we have all the inputs to our solver improperly and we trust the solver? Why not? I mean, we use the we both use the AB solver, mm-hmm. but the problem I have with some of the competitor solvers is it has, you know, form factor adjustment and all this other adjustment, and that got me thinking, well, if the people are adjusting those and they're getting the desired outcome, is that really wrong? And I just keep coming back to the fact that yes, it is wrong because you are um, manipulating the solver in a, a way that could cause you to have error that's unexplained and you can't then you can't trust whether it's a solver or your rifle or the velocity or your trigger press or XYZ and when it comes down to it I shoot the data that my solver gives me and I assume that it's something else because I've proven time and time and time again in the in the conditions with perfect um with a perfect setup and a perfect rifle that's shooting what I expect, I've proven that the solver is the gospel. So why would I second guess that over everything else? Yeah, it's a known quantity. Yeah, it's at that point. it's science, and that's just an easy way to dismiss it as the fact that 
you know, it is what it is, but that's what it is. <laughs> yeah, I would say, I think you're right, though. The most common cause for unknown errors that you feel are something else, like muzzle velocity truing is one that has a, let's call it a root cause, that I think is very traceable, and then elevation issues due to BC. So muzzle velocity truing in BC. In my opinion, the most common cause for those are scope tracking issues. Mm-hmm. People will deviate from a known muzzle velocity from, say, a lab radar. There is some, to be fair, there is some movement around whatever your lab radar or your chronograph reads that it needs to be adjusted some amount. Usually, it's not more than about 10 feet a second. If That's, that. that would be a real, if everything is perfect in your system, it's even less than that. You can't shoot the difference of 10 feet per second effectively. Um, at anything but more than like eight, 900 yards, you might start to see the difference with a large number of shots. Um, however, when you're talking uh, more than 10 feet a second, what it's probably another symptom that's being masked and you're attributing the cause to something else. In this case, it's more likely that if you have to vary your BC, let's say your bullet has a 300 BC from the box and it's a known or from you know, the AB library or from a bunch of buddies who shoot it and they all are using around a 300 plus or minus like one to two points. And then you both shoot it and you have to bump your muzzle velocity 50 feet a second and your BC say up or down uh, or up, doesn't matter, take, a, take your pick, say 35 points. Now it's a two se- or a two seventy. It's thirty points lower or thirty points higher. Who do you think is wrong? And it's not to say that you are wrong because it's possible. It is entirely possible your barrel is actually really fast and it somehow creates very low BC projectiles or something similar. But it's so unlikely that the further you get away from an average that's been standardized, the more likely that there's another error in your process that you haven't identified. Yeah, it, it, there's some input that's wrong in yep. your solver somewhere. Um, that one, and, to me, is scope tracking. Yeah, and I know that the Kestrel resisted putting that in there for a long time because, well, this is the rumor that I heard. I don't know if it's real, but they, they were just nervous to give people more control over adjusting. I don't know the real stuff. reason. Um, I really don't either. But yeah, but it, but it stands to reason if somebody's willing to go in there and mess with their BC to get it lined up, they could go in there and mess with their scope tracking to get it line up without even measuring their scope tracking you know people yeah. people can go in there and adjust your velocity your bc your scope tracking all of those are going to have an effect on your curve for sure yeah. um so i feel like um without this is my troubleshooting 101 like figure out the easiest thing to eliminate and control and control that and when i say easy is how much time or money does it take you to to figure it out and then how easy is it for it to be sustained um, scope tracking is like a super th- simple thing to check. Lowest cost item to check. And then once you've I'm checked it, it's probably good for a long time. And I'm, I'm not saying you should never check it again, but uh, assuming you don't have a major failure or expose your scope to some major environmental impacts or, or temperature swings or whatever that could cause it to, to change, I really don't think you need to worry about it too much longer um, after yeah. that. And then you can just say, hey, I've squared that away as much as I can. The next easiest thing to square away, since you don't have a Doppler radar personally, is to go and check your muzzle velocity. And I feel like when you go and check those two things, it solves 95% of people's problems. A good way of saying this is, so there are three main attributes. Well, there's four, but... So let's just, you're zero. You're zero, let's cross mm-hmm. it off the list and assume yeah. you're zero. That's easiest. In terms of <laughs> external things, things that you actually have to measure outside of it, it's your muzzle velocity, your turret tracking, and your BC. Mm-hmm. BC is the hardest one to measure. But if you know that the sum, let's call those four variables, if you were to put those into an equation, it's A plus B plus C plus D equals E, which is your elevation, then... You lucked in on that letter. I you did. lucked right I, into that I one. did. I, I'm not going to lie. I might have. <laughs> I saw the look on your face. Like, I e, smiled which a little. Is elevation. Um, e for elevate. Woohoo. Uh, winner. Uh, if you were to. You don't know. You know that the zero is good, so A is all checked. Uh, B, you know that your muzzle velocity is good. C, you've tested your tracking, but you don't know your BC other than what's on a box. But it, you don't need to know. E or C rather, D rather, because if you shoot and you end up on target exactly where you think you're supposed to be, you can then just solve the equation for D. You can solve for the BC, and that's what we're doing when we're truing. We're eliminating as many variables, so if you think of it like you're writing all those down, 
and you're saying all of these things are known quantities, they have a plus or minus tolerance. And this is a, a fairly good exercise. Um, if you take your muzzle velocity, your elevation, your zero, uh, your BC, and you just run like a min-max on a piece of paper, what's the lowest that my BC should be reasonably? It should be this, highest, this. Okay, what's the most my zero could be off today? It's this to this. And everybody has this, by the way. It's not just your zero. It's your zero plus your NPA, your consistency shot to shot. But if you add all this in, okay, my, my zero could be off a tenth at either direction. So that's a total of 0.2. Um, then you have your um, muzzle velocity. I could be off by as much as my SD, right? Or my extreme spread, technically. But SD is a much better measure of that. So you take the SD of that. Then you have your um, scope tracking. Well, it tracked quote, perfect, but if I, I had to average a bunch of tests, and in those tests, it was plus or minus 1%. Okay? Put that number in. That's also range error and some other things. And then the last one is my BC, and you plug all those in. You can technically find the worst-case scenario by just going to the low limit of all those variables and the high limit of all those variables, and then plugging them all into a solver and seeing how big the solution differentials are. But that's not the right way to do it. Actually, the right way is at least, is at least some squares. Least, I, I, I think know. it's called the least sum squares. I, somebody who's really smart at math will please comment in the below. But I, it's either root sum squares or uh, least sum squares. But I think method. you can have one of those be up and one of them be down. That's why I'm saying that. And then you'll this, end up at the, this is back to the, where we started. Like you can have wrong information correct. and you have the right answer. Well, this is why the root sum squares will show you essentially what the average amount of error will likely be. Because it's, it's possible you could end up on any extreme, but it's not the most likely and the this method and i always forget it but something to do with squares the least or the most of them and you put them yeah, together oh. and when you do <laughs> you end up with the sort of what would happen if you minimize this one maximize this one went to the average of this one so on and so forth it calculates all that in one little cool equation and it tells you what you're actually should see and it's a good exercise because once you start doing that you go okay well my zero is a direct one-to-one if i know i'm off a tenth and i'm off a tenth everywhere that's mm-hmm. cool but at some point, your BC, if your BC variance, uh, so it can go down 10 points or up 10 points, well, at 1,000 yards, it actually does move you a tenth, which is the same amount as your zero. So is it easier to fix your BC or easier to fix your zero? Way easier to fix your zero. Yeah. Okay. Muzzle velocity. It's changing 10 feet a second or 20 feet SDs. Well, if it's 20 feet a second on your SD, your ES is 60, that's three to four tenths when you're getting out to 1,000 yards. Now that is the biggest contributor. You can identify it, solve it. How do you solve that? Better ammo, better powder, better ignition. Check your firing pin. You have to walk down that tree of potential causes. Some of them you won't know the answer to, and you have to reach out to someone who's more experienced to find the most probable, low-cost, easy-to-implement solution. Yeah, the, the other thing, the other reason I started thinking about this is because... <clears throat> Specifically, we've been talking about the AG Cup, and the target sizes at that match are getting much closer to the yeah. average precision of most people's uh, wind, wind calling abilities and their group their group sizes of their rifles. I mean, we're talking about three tenths wide targets to four tenths wide targets, and most people's rifles, Half. you know, yeah, most people's point rifles two. have a point two level of precision if you have them shoot five round groups times you know five groups there those 25 rounds if you overlaid overlaid those on top of each other you'd have a point two group most mm-hmm. of them and that's a good rifle um so it just made me think and i've had this not necessarily burn me but cost me points in the past and just thinking on the road here we're heading down to shoot some small targets and thinking man i have lost more points this year by making too big of corrections on small plates Mm -hmm. so this is something that's on my mind and i already know what my elevation needs to be i mean i don't i don't lie to my solver at all i I give the velocity that my labrador or magneto speed gives me because i know it's within five feet per second of reality and i'm using a, a personal drag model which is a custom curve for my rifle um I know my scope tracking, uh, all the variables that can be controlled, I am 100% confident in those variables. And then the only other is the environment, if there's something that I'm not seeing. And a lot of people, uh, comes down to, when they call me, it's like, oh, I didn't check my zero. That's one thing that just is silly for you to, <laughs> to uh, 
to reach out and say, why is my elevation off? Well, what was your, what did your zero look like that day? <laughs> they said, well, yeah. I haven't checked it yet. Then the other thing is, do you have wind in your Kestrel? Is it causing you to, telling you that you have AJ, aerodynamic jump, um, in, in your s- solution? And they'll have it in the wrong direction or they'll have no wind in there and they're holding, you know, 1.2 mils or something yeah. something along those or lines. Or they go zero height or zero offset in the wrong direction because yeah. they don't understand how those numbers work. Negative to the left, negative is down. Your actual point of impact left, it's negative. If it's low, it's negative. Positive is right, positive is up. Yeah, and I, I really, I didn't intend for this to be a rehash of all the ways that your data could be wrong. Um, it, it just got me to thinking why do people prioritize some things over another and and want to use a different solver or say that certain things do certain things and then they're so passionate about it um when i you know i'm passionate about the applied ballistic solver as well but but i know what it's capable of and i know what it does and it does the thing that it should do (laughs) there's no reason for me to question it yeah, it's, um, you know, solvers are a really good one, but there's countless other examples oh, yeah. of aspects of what oh, we do. Building a position. Building <laughs> a position. Yeah, you do it the wrong way. You're right, left knee up versus right knee up for a right-handed shooter. You do it, and all of a sudden you're like, I could get a great results. Yeah. Yeah, all the time. Like, I'm hitting targets. But then the one time that, for whatever reason, the prop requires more vertical stability, and all of a sudden... Oh, I'm not hitting targets. I can't explain it. My data's off. I'm hitting high. I'm hitting low. I, what's, something's wrong with my gun. But you don't realize that it's just in the time you're pressing the trigger, you're inducing some wobble that's almost invisible. Yeah. Um, I guess. I guess my lesson, at least in part from this, is that you know when you're look inward, when your stuff isn't lining up, question whatever is the easiest thing for you to eliminate. Um, you know, experiment with different things that that you you know you can control mm-hmm. um, that will eliminate or confirm uh, what you're seeing is still sustained, or does it improve it, or does it make it worse? Honestly, making something worse is, in my opinion, almost as good as making something better because you know what you're doing has an influence on it. Yeah. So either you were They're doing a really valid. Yeah. So it was, it'll tell you that what what you just changed is significant and practically significant because you you can influence it um, and then make a list of those things and then figure out how to work on improving those things so it's um there's a lot of subtle things that give you a downrange effect that you wouldn't expect it and everybody's at a different level in this journey and sometimes you're just not ready to see or admit that those things are something that you are doing including us yeah I'm always questioning it. I know, but we have things that we have tried testing and we weren't sure we saw an effect. And then later on we've tested it and like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It seems to be having an effect because we, for whatever reason, in that day, the one, the first time we tried it, we weren't good enough. We weren't calm enough. We weren't whatever. We just weren't enough. We weren't enough to show that that was a problem that was actually going to affect things. Or we um, weren't in tune with it and checking it yeah, the same way every not, time. Not the same way. And we, we do that with velocities now because we needed to be absolutely sure is there's something happening and we figure out what's going on. We know it. we eliminate that with our cleaning processes. We eliminate that with our scope tracking. Um, but I, I'd like to pivot this actually. This is an awesome topic. I want to pivot this and go to a different, same, same question. I'm ready. What happens when you have outcomes in life and in your approach to life, this sport, and I don't mean reloading, I don't mean equipment, I just mean your approach, your purpose, your intent, um, how you interact with people, how you listen, how you talk. What happens when you do all those things and you get the right result? Are you still doing it? Are you have it with the wrong way with the right result? Are you doing it wrong? If you're interacting with people and you're, you know, let's call it, I'm going to say you're rude or you interrupt a lot, but you get the outcome you're looking for, are you still wrong? Because you're getting what you need. Man, I feel like this is entrapment. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what you're trying to get at here, but I do feel like it's still wrong. I feel like it's wrong. And also, uh, if the people are giving you uh, what your desired outcome is, so this That's is dangerous for them. This is where I, you know, this is where I think the philosophy, the philosophy in, of our lives and how we approach 
daily life, how we approach problems. So you, you expect to hit some goal and you don't for whatever reason. And your approach to failure is, and I say failure, not achieving a goal is one of self-flagellation effectively, right? You know, work harder, beat, beat yourself down mentally, etc. And that's worked in the past. You've gotten motivation out of sort of brutalizing yourself mentally to the point where you feel like you have no other option in order to do it. Is that still the right way to become motivated to get to your end result? Is that a question? Yeah. I mean, I, no. Yeah, I mean, we. I don't think it's a healthy way. No. It is a way. I don't think it's the best way. I mean, I can. I can. I'm speaking from a little bit of personal, um, exp- not a little bit, all personal example? experience. Um, yeah, I mean, personally, I was extremely hard on myself um, as I went through all sports, golf, uh, between golfing in high school, baseball, hockey, um, billiards, and all the things that I've done outside of shooting. At school, um, I'm, I was very, very difficult with myself, very hard on myself. Like, oh, you didn't get an A, or you didn't win that that match or that meet. Uh, you did it wrong, and then you just chastise yourself into to force yourself to go to the range, like almost like a punishment. So I'm bringing this up because I would do that. I would go to the golf course. I think you still do that. I I think I do, but I do it with a different frame of mind. It's not coming from a place of disdain for my performance. It's coming from a place of introspective analysis on how to get better. Like mm-hmm. I, I want to, I don't want to get better just to win the match. I want to get better because I know that I can perfect a process, and I'm, that's the part that I enjoy now. In other words, my focus was on the end result. I've talked about this. You know, the results were what mattered, as opposed to the process mattering. The same thing can occur as you're trying to get better at something. Or if I were hitting golf balls, you know, I'd go out, I'd fire off a 74 or 75. It would be a really good round, you know, in high school and in early college. Like that would have been a good round for me to just cruise around and shoot a 74, a couple shots over par. That's not what my brain focused on, though. My brain focused on the three bogeys and the double bogey that negated four birdies, right? Or three mm-hmm. birdies. So yeah. I could have went to subpar. I could have shot a 69. And what did I do? Okay, I put two drives left, almost OB. They cost me some bad, you know, shots coming back in. I had to kind of lay up or, you know, reposition. That cost me three shots on three different holes. And so I would sit there and beat 150 drives directly following a round. Mm-hmm. That's not helping my, my game. I mean, what if the smarter approach is, well, on that hole, if a drive is that sensitive, would it have been smarter to simply just use a three wood? Would it have been smarter to simply use a seven iron followed by a seven iron followed by a wedge? Easy one putt, a fifty percent chance of, of converting a you know up and down. Like um, in golf lingo, you know, it's the same way we look at shooting. Is it worth our time to sit there and perfect group after group after group when really our skill set is not advanced enough in other areas? Well, it's gratifying to see a small group. And it's far harder to see gratification out of a big group. Big groups are generally what you get while you're learning positional shooting. If you're using a new piece of gear, it's generally frustrating and harder to control. So you're, it's slower and it's difficult and you, maybe it's raining or it's you want to go home. You'd rather be fishing. You'd probably want to go down and check your trail cams for a hunt. All of those things mean that your process is kind of not... Secondary. It's secondary to the other things you want to do, in which right. case you just question... Are you really doing this for the right reasons? Like, mm-hmm. if this isn't the right time, if you can't commit to all of the attention that this deserves in the same way that you'd be happy to give attention to any other aspect of your life, maybe you shouldn't be doing this right now. You should find a better time. Yeah, I think that... That's where I'm going with this. Yeah, I think that some people, uh, and myself included, for a long time, uh, equate effort with... Um, time. Well, effort, no, create effort with um, time and effort with how you, that's how you achieve your outcome. And that's Mm -hmm. not, it's not the case. It's by far not the case. I've learned in this sport, going out to the range and having a plan to shoot 200 rounds is a terrible plan. Um, You know, you need to have outcomes that are process and can, and can be controlled. Those, those those outcomes are something that will help you build your foundation to 
that you can stand on to get yourself to the next level. And when people, when the first thing I hear people say is, I want to go get that, you know, I want to go get that hardware or whatever. Like, it's a distraction. It, it, it just, it doesn't, you can't shoot yourself into a trophy by going to the range and, and just shooting a lot Sailing. of rounds. Yeah. yeah. It has to be purposeful and it has to be measurable and it has to be, uh, it has to be like a, a milestone, a sequential. It has to be linked with an activity that will help you perfect your process. Mm-hmm. So how can you do that? Like we were talking about goals before. How can you take your ultimate goal and break it down into a measurable chunk and then that Smart needs to chunks. be yeah that needs to be broken down into something that's even smaller until you are breaking it down to an element of a process like literally go from i want to win the golden bullet to my trigger finger the pad of my finger t- touching my trigger finger in the same exact method every single time and feeling how that feels and interacting with my the, the pad of my fingertip um, like that needs to be the level of breakdown that you need of your goals so that you can uh, work your way up that rung each rung at a time and get to the top of that ladder I haven't figured it all out but I'm just saying this is what's going through my mind when when I'm thinking about how to achieve those things and I don't get stressed out about outcomes because I know that the outcomes are a direct result of the processes that I've solidified in uh, in my shooting but they're also the outcomes are out of my control because I'm not the only one shooting. And it took me a while to accept that, but it doesn't matter how good of a shooter you are. You still might not win. Yep. So, so are you going to not let yourself feel like you accomplished something, even though you had the best day of your life at the range? No, you should not. It's not healthy. You should find ways to internally feel good about uh, your day or your match or your weekend or your life based on the things that you personally could control and know that you controlled them to the best of your abilities um, and realizing that the ones that are out of control outside of your control and or out of control yeah. um, are, are literally ones that you haven't figured out how to control yet but you will and as long as you keep slicing it thinner and thinner to things that you can control and work your way up that ladder then you'll eventually get there but that's that's the hard part about it is that that process and those steps are different for every single person they are definitely going to be different for every person and not everybody it's a, shooting is only one aspect of your life that affects your shooting so to speak <laughs> i mean we both know we've had to make decisions about shooting that have nothing to do with shooting and it's whether we can or can't whether we should or shouldn't do you even feel focused while you're at the range i remember at raton like i had to I almost didn't shoot the finale at Raton. I still ended up not, but I almost didn't shoot the finale at Raton um, because my wife was uh, not feeling well. And so I had to wait until I waited one day longer to travel down than I expected to. And I didn't leave until three o'clock. I think it was a, I want to say it was Thursday at like two o'clock or something like that. Or maybe it was Wednesday night at like seven o'clock. Something so absurdly long that I ended up driving there and I made it very 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 late on thursday night got some sleep and then woke up early and went shooting and then all was normal but i had in my mind like i had a state in mind i'm like as soon as i hit forget which where the halfway point was but it was somewhere on the back edge of kansas and uh, missouri kansas border like when i hit that border and i'm almost like right at the crux of oklahoma that's the point of no return and if at that point i have to shut this off if i get a call at any point between now and then though hey man you're not even shooting right now. I'm just taking a long drive to clear my head <laughs> until I get to Oklahoma. And then as soon as I touch Oklahoma, now I'm going to shoot the finale. Mm-hmm. And I didn't get a call. So guess what? I was going to shoot the finale. Um, but that, that type of process, like I had to really, that was really hard for me. I mean, internally it was a, it was a struggle because it was a mix of a bunch of emotions. One, like, why am I even shooting? Why do I, why am I in a car and not at home? Because this could not be good. And I, this shouldn't, I shouldn't be in this car. But then my wife was like, no, 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 you, you've spent months working towards this years and you've invested our time in this, not, she didn't say my time, our time, our family time. Mm -hmm. You've invested our family time 
in hopes to go through this event and do really well. Right. So this is, you need to be on the road. And if something gets worse, I'll let you know. And so Mm -hmm. I had to commit to that. So I started the drive. It's a long drive. I'm still willing to go back. But as soon as I touched Oklahoma, it becomes the opposite. Now I have to go into time to shoot a match mode. And I have to be willing to accept the outcome of both. There's times where we have to evaluate all of the decisions and discernment. Are we in a good place to, to do, practice, think, buy, uh, any, insert anything that you could do? Are you in the right frame of mind? Are you in the right place? Is it the best time to do what you're doing at the moment? Or is there something else? A good example for me was scheduling. When I worked with uh, a couple companies, uh, my travel schedule got really chaotic when I was thinking of going to matches and it ended up being very chaotic. Go from one trip, come home, 24 hours later, I'm already on the road, come back from a trip, the next morning I am already in five states over after a plane ride, right? And I'm like, you know, this isn't really working. Like, I can't do this anymore. But I had to sort out, like, if this is going to, if shooting is going to continue to be a priority, I can no longer be traveling this much for for work. work, And so I had to make a change. And then if hey, if, if shooting is still this much of a priority, I also have to give away other hobbies. I don't hunt anywhere near as much as I would like to. I don't think you went out once this year. I haven't. Nope. <laughs> um, I went out once last year for one day, smacked two does in the face, and then called that a day. Um, I, don't, I probably will not go this year, but it's because I'm willing to accept the trade-off that the hunting, the enjoyment I get out of hunting is good and it's, it's worthwhile. You know, I still have some meat in the freezer from last year. It's fine. If I really, but I also like fishing, and I find that to me the trade-off for fishing is it's a quick way to reset because it's so calming. Just like hunting is. I mean, hunting's the same way, but in my opinion, hunting has a like a full day or two back end or more that mm-hmm. once you're done, if you tag out, you oh, have yeah. you have two days do. worth of work to do. So, in my case, I don't like the back end work. Where I'm at right now is enough time shooting that if if my hobby leads me to more work. After doing it successfully, that's kind of a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, fishing, yeah, one fillet knife, three little quick passes, and toss the bones in the river, and I have a, you know, some fish. And if I don't, I'm having just as much fun if I don't catch a dang thing, because I can always just toss them back. Yeah. I'm okay with that right now. So, that's a really good question, man. Um, so, I mean, I think about it a lot. I don't think we've solved it here. Um, we won't. I've just, I, I would like other people to think about it and. When specifically when I'm on those forums, I think about it quite a bit because there's just people that are so passionate about their responses, and I'm, I'm not trying to pass judgment on those people. They may have way more experience on that particular topic than I do. It just surprises me that they're willing to be that excitable vocal. and vocal about it. Um, there's a bunch of parallels in history <laughs> that repeat this. Yeah. I mean, prior to... Galileo, right? I think it was Galileo. Galileo! <laughs> I can't hear the name Galileo without thinking of... Prior to Galileo, the Earth was the center of the galaxy, or the universe. Right, right, right. right. I think it's like, no. Copernicus model. I think it was the Copernicus model. I forget. I don't know all the details, but I do know it was Galileo. I think he was the one that first position, like, really went after the church to say, hey, no, no, I think we're wrong here. This is, we aren't the center. And they let him live, barely. Um, but then you had, you know, okay, well, yeah, we're not the center. Okay, we finally, okay, we are not the center of the universe. We'll admit that. But the world is still flat. You should not go past this point. You'll just fall off, bro. Like, you, <laughs> Yeah, no, that's not, that's not really what I'm talking about. I know, um, but it's, a, it's the same process. But it's hard to know when you're on you that frontier. No. It's hard yes, to know. Exactly. Yeah. And you can't you don't know the end the boundary that you're you're willing to explore until you've explored it. So the unknowable is unknowable for a reason. The unknown is not the same thing as the unknowable. And I think it was uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson. I, I want to say it was Neil deGrasse Tyson had some cool visual that he did once when he talks about the circle of knowledge and the circle of the unknown. Mm-hmm. It's the intersection. So imagine a imagine a huge like an infinite circle. It's infinitely large. And in the middle, you have your known. You're this small circle, size of a quarter. And you just, you learn a little bit about something that you you wanted to learn about, and your whole circle gets bigger. And you're like, ooh, I just, I know more now. Your circle gets bigger. Your circle. 
not the unknown circle. So one unknown is black. You're white in the middle. You flip him if you want to, but you go, uh, you get learn something else. Your circle gets bigger. Well, the bigger your circle gets of known items, the boundary between the unknown and the known also gets larger, meaning the diameter, the, the circumference, meaning the type, the number of points that is touching, that are touching, and the boundary layer of the unknown. You now have more areas to explore that are unknown than you do that are known at some point. If you continue to express that towards infinity, right, you the questions that are unknown become more numerous than the ones that are known. However, yeah. the closer to the middle, all the things that are at the center, the foundations of these these wrappers, if you will, um, all of that is more and more known, and it becomes more and more constant. Mm-hmm. But what happens when that constant, that center, was a crumbly foundation of nothing? It was a nothing burger. That's that's when you have a problem. Then you have to pick up your whole circle and go to the real area. Oh, I was wrong. Your circle gets smaller, but it doesn't actually get smaller. You just don't. You figured out something else you didn't know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it, now your circle grows again. Yep. Um, it never. I stops. like that analogy because the more you figure out. We've said this many times. The more you find out that you don't know, and then you want to know, and then, yeah, it's a never-ending cycle. Um, so interesting point. Do you know? Uh, do you know what spaghettification is? No, of the term. Okay, I so use Alfredo sauce more no, often. I learned this from Neil deGrasse Tyson. Uh, death by spaghettification. Spaghettification is when, if so, if you approached a black hole, this is how you would die. Mm-hmm. It would be called spaghettification. So, um, so say your toes were, were pointed towards mm, uh-huh. uh, the black hole. The closer you get I to the black it. hole, the speed uh, that you move towards the black hole becomes infinitely quicker. Yes. And it, and it would stretch your body. It varies some by point, time yeah. or by distance. So, yeah, your feet are closer to the event horizon <laughs> than your head. Yeah. So, so the gravity is... Your speed so it would stretch yeah. your body at this point and it, it would string you uh, very quickly infinitely quickly into a, a line of molecules Spaghetti. basically <laughs> spaghettification so i thought that was interesting death mm-hmm. by spaghettification but yeah, that's an interesting and here's you want another one this is kind of interesting because of the same physics you would never actually know that you did you no. died Mm-mm. now there's a weird one for you you are dead and you don't know it it's just your time as you approach the boundary of a black hole time because of the gravity will appear to have slowed down to the point where for you it's normal outside of everything around you dies like literally the universe would have gone black and but you really still the would opposite have pres- is happening really the opposite is happening yeah. <laughs> and we'll leave you with that yeah it's a good one so have a don't, good t- don't play with black holes bro have a good day sir 